What's going on, y'all? This is Dennis Smith Jr. checking in to let you know that you're listening to Numbers on the Board with Jeff Skin Wade and Bobby Corrales. What up, Mavs Nation? It's time for a new episode of Numbers on the Boards, off-season edition, post-lottery edition, coming to you live in the past on the internet from Mark Cuban's office. Can we say that? I think we can. We can say that. I am Bobby Corella from Mavs.com, and joining me today is a guy who would definitely go number one overall in the oh. podcast host draft, so it's a good thing there's no lottery for that. He's Jeff Skin Wade. Well, Bobby, those are some damn fine words, sir. Very kind of you. And, boy, we've been t- – you know, you and I keep in touch all the time. We're like, all right, once this lottery goes down, we're going to do a little numbers on the boards post-lottery podcast, and I'm antsy and, and itching to go here, baby. I brought with me several bottles of champagne mm. in the event that the Mavs did hit on those 13.8% odds. Unfortunately, they did not. They got fifth. But, hey – Fifth isn't too bad. Not in this draft, it's not. Now, did did I guess our experiment didn't work. Yeah. We cooked a shoe and some beard hair and a cigar and all kinds of stuff. We drank seven-year-old Budweiser. God. And plenty of Jack Daniels. To all the Jack Daniels. Um, but I think, like, you know, we'll, we'll get into players and different things. I think a lot of people felt like, hey, this draft has three, quote-unquote, franchise changers. And then a lot of really, really good players. But I think one thing that we've learned over the years is that just because we're going into a draft where you're going to take a bunch of 19-year-olds and you're going into this draft going, well, this guy's a franchise changer. As we've seen play out time and time again, you can get franchise changers in the middle of the first round. So there's guys right now that you look at and go, well, I have him on a different level than that guy. But three years from now, we may feel totally different about it. I think just from a talent standpoint and looking what you have to work with, the number five pick in the draft is is a fine, fine pick. And I think the Mavericks going to get somebody they will turn into a great player. Yeah, for sure. Well, and historically, number five is a great place to be, too. So uh, the last 30 years is when the NBA switched to uh, three all-NBA teams from two because the league grew. And um, there were there are more players – to make all NBA teams draft a number five than any other pick behind one and three. And one is obvious because yep. that's going to be your LeBron James, Tim Duncan, you know, all time great players. Um, but man, the list of guys taking number five overall Charles Barkley, Dwayne Wade, Scotty Pippen, Vince Carter, Kevin Garnett. Dirk is better than all of them. Yes. But those, they're pretty good. Those I are, could so put those together pretty a pretty good modern NBA squad with those guys. Yeah, and that's leaving off guys like Ray Allen. I yeah. mean, there have been some really good number five overall picks. So just because they didn't win does not mean it is a day of mourning. It is still a day of celebration. Uh, you can't see this because you're listening to this, not watching us. But uh, we set up a, a faux basketball court mm-hmm. in the entryway. You saw that when you came in. I did. I walked in and missed a shot. Oh, you missed it? It rimmed out. Oh, okay. Yeah, that rim is flimsy. I tried to tighten it up, but to yeah. no avail. Yeah, and then for someone who's got such a buttery soft shot like mine, I yeah. mean, it just rolls around for days up there. Yeah, so. and it, but it didn't go in. And now I rolled out. Yeah, so there's like a pipe hanging down. It's we're, it's we're Our office is like loft style mm-hmm. in the roof, and uh, there's a pipe that was sort of – suspended from the ceiling and uh, I'm a tall fellow and I like to shoot it with a high art because I grew up As watching Dirk yeah As you should and um I got rejected by the pipe oh so no. yeah I, I, my ball didn't even make it to the basket but I still got a Mavericks Yeti cup 
All right. So yeah, so things are things Congrats. are rock and roll. Yeah, and our, our new motto is come together. So I like it, that just goes like for, the Beatles. Yeah, that goes for our, and uh, Aerosmith had a pretty good cover of that song too. Yeah, for and sure. a lot of other people. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it's the, the Jammy Jam. Yeah, it is. It is good. But uh, whether it's our office, whether it's the team, whether it's fans, whether it's this podcast, again, you and I came together today. We're going to come together. We're going to talk hoops. Let's do it. Yeah, and this conversation skin is brought to you by 5 Miles, the fun and easy way to buy and sell items and services with your phone. You can snap a picture, enter a short description, be selling to thousands of potential buyers like you and me yes. within seconds. For all of our draft coverage, go to Mavs.com slash Draft Central. That is where you'll be able to hear all of our podcasts leading up to the draft cool. and after the draft, cool. which hopefully will include the guy that they draft. We'll see. We will see. Uh, you'll have to wait for what is today. You'll have to wait for about a month and a week. I can do that. Yeah. Well, not you. The, oh. The listeners. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You and I, so we're bi- going to be busy between now and then, man. Right. Yeah. So I don't want you to wait for anything. So let's get into it, man. Um, number five. So the Mavericks, the last time they were this high in the draft, mm-hmm. by their own doing, right. I guess, was uh, way back in 1992. Four? 1994? Were you born yet? I was three years old. <laughs> yeah. I was very young, so I have no memory of that. Yeah. But that's the 94 draft. The reason that it always gets me confused is because I know that Jason Kidd was the 95 rookie of the year. Right. He was drafted the year before. Right. So the 1994 draft lottery saw the Mavs get the number two overall pick, which they took Jason Kidd. Mm-hmm. They also had the number five pick in the 2004 draft. They traded for that pick and selected Devin Harris. Yes, and uh, that was the whole – that was Jameson going out, and we get back Stackhouse yeah. and Devin Harris, and that kind of like was the foundation for a team that was going to go to the finals. Yeah. So it was yeah. a really good trade. That is a heck of a trade in retrospect, man. Yes. Because, I mean, at that point, Stackhouse was – he was, like I think, on the on the other side of 30, but he was he won – he was like six man of the year uh, – candidate like his, every year his reputation at the time had been tarnished mm-hmm. and he was uh you know oh he's a bad locker room guy and all that but one thing we learned later greg buckner tells some awesome jerry stackhouse stories jerry stackhouse was just so intense that you know you didn't want to get in his way before a game because he's putting his game face on that goes for media that goes for teammates that goes for everybody but jerry stackhouse had a really good run here and also remember jordan had acquired jerry stackhouse to sort of play off of him yeah and so that's how you're going to go play off the goat that's a you know heck we see really got good guys in their prime trying to play off russ and figure those things out mm-hmm. so uh i think stackhouse's reputation had been tarnished by the time we got him and then we got him and him and avery hit it off perfectly and and that ended up being a really great trade for the map and he's saying a beautiful national anthem oh yeah good yeah. pipes that guy yeah so that's one of the probably the biggest draft night trade i guess obviously they traded for dirk too yes. which is and steve nash on the same the conversation. Night. yeah that they that did okay good there too the dual mvp trades. yeah i mean i gotta say it seems like every five years or so they do something pretty cool on draft night and yeah and i think you know one of the things is that to to be involved in some activity on draft night you need to have some assets and so we're in new territory for younger maverick fans like yourselves because you guys don't know about that lottery life I know about the lottery life. I was, you know, in my 20s when we were doing the Jimmy, uh, you know, Jamal and Jason thing. So uh, I remember those days really, really well. But, uh, you know, Donnie Nelson has been around for so long uh, and has got the same sort of wheeler dealer reputation that his dad had. Uh, So the Mavericks, when they have ammo to make deals, 
They make deals. They're a really fun team to follow in that regard. We just went through that stretch. Really, when we acquired Jason Kidd, we had pretty much tapped out of things to deal with. Yep. Um, and then, you know, you replenish and, and, you, and you move on. You're back in the action. So I suspect that there will be a lot of teams wanting to deal with the Mavericks at five. I would be surprised if they traded down. I think they'll probably I – would, I would, if I were to bet, I would think they'd be more likely to trade up than trade down in this draft. You they, heard it here they, first. They need, Skin is guaranteeing it. Uh, a false guarantee. Guaranteeing yes, absolutely. It, yeah. But, I mean, I think it's a unique situation, specifically with Atlanta at three and the way a lot of these players are mocked out. If you look at kind of what they have, they may go, well, you know, we could maybe get the same type of player that we would actually need at five. So is someone willing to give up an asset like a team like the Mavericks or a team at six or whatever? So I or think uh, the, the Clippers, sorry to interrupt, but the Clippers have the number 12 and number 13 pick. Yeah. So and then and, and maybe someone's looking more at depth or maybe they don't see the same potential game-changing type players that somebody else does. Um, I think a real good example of that as we get into this, we'll talk about the way some people feel about Bamba versus Jackson Jr. You know, people have them sort of slated on the same tier. So that comes down to how does your front office view a player and, and what do you already have as you look at – I mean, the thing is, is it's a salary cap league. So you can't just throw all your assets at one particular position for that very reason. Mm. Yeah, and this year's draft – and. What, we're teasing it a lot, but we will eventually talk about the players in this year's draft. But this year's draft is kind of similar to last year's draft in that last year there were five point guards taken in the first nine picks. Right. This year there's going to be four or five big men or more taken in the first eight or nine picks. Yeah. So it's kind of do you need one of those guys? And if not, what are you going to do? Because there's really – I mean, there's a couple point guards, Trey Young, Colin Sexton, that are that are you know being mocked very high that seem like they could be pretty good players. Mm-hmm. There's some wings too, and we'll talk about them. But if you don't need a big man, then what are you going to do? I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe that's where you think, okay, maybe I'm not going to pick here. Maybe we can afford to trade back if someone at 8 or 9 or 12 or 50, whatever, really wants to get one of these big guys. But, uh, but we'll talk about that. And Skin – just like the great band Rilo Kylie. Hooray, hooray. I'm your silver lining. The Mavericks won the coin toss with the Atlanta Hawks before the lottery. Unfortunately, the Hawks jumped them in the draft, mm-hmm. but that means that the Mavericks will now pick 33rd overall, not 34th overall. Mm-hmm. So because they moved down in the first round, they get to move up in the second round. And that is where you could see some moves too. Absolutely. At the top but, of the second round. Yeah, the, it's good from a contract standpoint. You know, GMs like those early second round picks because uh, you're not beholden. I mean, it's, it's different than it was four or five years ago because they shortened rookie contracts in mm-hmm. general. But uh, early second round picks are good assets, not only to take a player, but also if you do want to make a trade. Yeah, well, and, and one thing that we started seeing last year because so many of these teams, especially Boston, I guess, namely most of all, and Philly, is. Like Boston, for example, they have like 15 or 18 players. Like mm-hmm. they have they have overseas guys. They have guys on the roster now. They have players that are under control for many years. So if you're at the bottom of the first round, you don't have room on your roster to take a guy and pay him for four years guaranteed. So maybe right. you want to move back into the second round, in which case, hey, someone at the top of the second round, do you want to just swap picks and maybe yes. give us some cash? And, like, and interesting that you said Boston. Boston, I believe, has four first-round picks next year. That is I think, I think Now, it, there's, there's, you know – 
contingencies. Uh, yeah, well. right. And I know like Memphis, for example, their pick's going to go to Boston if it's not, I believe, a top six pick and on and on and on. But the point is they might end up with four first-round picks next year. Mm. So, And then the other thing to, to look at on deals is teams have relationships with one another. And uh, while we obviously have made a lot of moves with Boston, mm-hmm. uh, and keep in mind that Donnie Nelson and Danny Ainge are on the same staff together in Phoenix when the guys who owned the team were the Colangelos, who are now in Philly. The, uh, the web, man. And we it's have done web. trades with Boston and Philly. Yep. Uh, and so those things do matter in these situations. Yep. Uh, the relationships run deep. There's a reason Kevin McHale sent Kevin Garnett to his buddy Danny Ainge. Now, he liked the players he got in return, mm. but my point is these things matter. So I think you bring up a great point when you bring up Boston, especially in talking about, hey, is this – an area where Dallas might be interested in making some moves. I think those connections matter. Yeah, and, I mean, we'll see what happens. They could very well stay there. You'll probably get a pretty solid player at 33. Mm-hmm. Uh, this draft is being lauded for its depth. Yep. There are guys that are projected to go in the bottom of the first round that could even fall into the early second round. Guys like from Villanova like Jalen Brunson and Dante DiVincenzo, mm-hmm. if he ends up staying in the draft, which I think he will, who are like – how are these guys not being taken higher? They look like they could be pretty good. Well, there's just so many good other the other good players in this draft that right. they might fall into the second round, in which case, yeah, cool. And you then, know. you know, you, you I mean, I think if some of our listeners are like first-rounder bust and they roll their eyes, I mean, there was a draft not too long ago where Jay Crowder and Draymond Green were both taken in early picks in the same second round. Yep. So, uh, you know, that's uh, there's, there's players to be found all and over the And one draft. of the best young centers in the NBA, Nikola Jokic, I believe taken like 43rd or something. Wow. Very late. And, of course, the great Manu Ginobili taken 57th. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's right. And Ben Wallace, of course, undrafted. Mm-hmm. So no matter where you go, man. And it's just like these guys at the top of the first round, they'll, they're likely to pan out, but they might not. You just don't know. That's what yeah. part of what makes the draft so exciting is that – Nobody knows anything. Right. You don't know until you know. And maybe we'll know, like, one example that I was thinking of in this playoffs, a guy who was great for Utah, Ricky Rubio. Mm-hmm. Whenever he was drafted, people were like, who's this kid? Right. He's just some European kid. He's not even going to come over here. Okay. First three or four years just kind of was – he was okay. Mm-hmm. He was fine. And then changed the scenery, went to Utah, and now all of a sudden he's like – Along with Gobert, they're like the anchors of that defense, and yes. Utah ended up going on a run. He so, had a great, great season. Yeah, he was very good this year. And, you know, we always talk about systems. I'm, I'm glad you brought that, that defensive aspect up. We always talk about systems, and we talk about it in regards to offense. There's defensive systems, too. And so sometimes you put a guy in a different environment. And, like, you know, one of the things that I, I think maybe uh, a lot of Maverick fans didn't realize when he was here is that if you talk to anybody that was on the Maverick coaching staff, they raved about how Jay Crowder understood their defensive system and never made any mistakes in that regard. And those things are very, very valuable. And they don't just pop off the way offensive plays do, but those sort of things matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, every team has an offensive system and a defensive system. And so you can sometimes get a player that's not working out over here, get them in a new scenario, and bam, it's on. Offensively, I think we really saw that this year with Doug McDermott. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was night and day. He had been with three NBA teams, had barely made an impact. He comes here, fits in our system, and is instantly one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA and has a great final, whatever it was, 20, 30 games, whatever it was. So get the guy in the right system, and it matters. Absolutely. And another guy that was on that Utah team, Jay Crowder. Yes. So it's amazing how things work out. True indeed. Uh, Okay, so without further ado, what do you say we talk about some draft picks? Love it. So we're only going to talk about, 
I got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Because the Mavericks are picking fifth overall, we're assuming that they're going to stay there and that they're going to make a pick. Uh, we're only really going to talk about the guys that are projected to go in the top five or six. So uh, the names, the list of names, DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Mo Bamba, Jaron Jackson Jr., Luka Doncic, Michael Bridges, Mikael Bridges, mm-hmm. uh, Miles Bridges, and Michael Porter Jr. So we're going to talk about them first. Skin, before we get there, what do you watch for when you watch these guys? When you're when you're thinking about prospects? Yeah, it's it's a little bit different, I think, based on the position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, yeah, these are kind of two categories: big guys, wings. Yeah. I get really frustrated watching a lot of college basketball because I watch so much NBA basketball. Mm. And so, like, I think a really good example is, that, you know, I, uh, I can be a UT fan because I flunked out of that school twice. <laughs> Very proud <laughs> of my work in the early 90s. Well done. But generally, if I have a quote-unquote college team, it's the Longhorns. So I was reading about Bamba, you know, a year ago, and I was really excited that he was going to UT. So I watched him quite a bit. And a good example of... When I watched him, it's not so much watching him as watching what his teammates do. Uh, and so with, I'm not trying to take shots at any players, but there's very few guards in college basketball that run a pick and roll the way it's supposed to be run. Mm-hmm. And we see that on a nightly basis when you watch NBA ball and then you turn over and watch college basketball and you're pulling your hair out. So I a lot of times, for example, if I'm watching Bamba, when he sets the screen, I'm watching what his defender is doing and what he allows Bamba to do. You know, so I look at those sorts of things like what about this system translates to NBA basketball? Another example, two guys that are looked at as being top 10 picks, uh, Bagley and uh, Carter mm-hmm. from Duke. You know, there's times where I, I turn that on and I'm like, man, Duke is running two posts right now on the offensive end of the floor. I haven't seen that in the NBA since, like, I don't know, the 80s. Mm. Like, I'm watching these things going, okay, uh, how does this translate? Mm. Uh, You can obviously – athleticism translates, right? Shooting touch translates, those sorts of things. But, you know, the style of play is so different, and the opportunities are going to be so different – once these players get to NBA systems that I'm really trying to look more of like, I'm not looking like when I hear people say, well, Bamba's raw offensively. And I go, okay, that's fair. He's 19. Uh, In most NBA systems, he's going to be setting a screen and rolling hard. Mm. That's what the modern game is, right? We're trying to open up things for shooters. So can he do that? Yeah, I believe he can do that. I think Aiton can do that. I think Aiton can also do things face-up wise that Bamba's not ready to do yet mm-hmm. so um I'm, I'm looking at more of like i'm trying to translate physical traits movement uh you know quote-unquote basketball iq like when you see especially on the defensive end like defensive instincts yeah uh those th- sort of things and i'm trying to translate it to the nba game which i feel like the college game is nothing like mm. i think one thing that people mistake and this goes for us too i mean i'm, I'm talking about we, not right. people, um, is confusing motor with instincts. I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Some people will see a guy who's not moving a lot on defense, and they'll say, well, he's just got a low motor. But right. then, well, he's really active on offense, so what, does he just not like playing defense? I don't know that it's an effort thing. I think that sometimes it just you can see guys thinking, mm-hmm. like, what am I supposed to do here? Right. Some guys it comes naturally to. Right. Like, we'll, we'll talk about uh, Jaron Jackson in a second, but 
he looks perfectly comfortable defending 20 feet from the rim, mm-hmm. which is crazy because right. most guys his age don't. He's only 18. Right. Um, so you could look at him and say, well, he's got a high motor, or maybe he just knows how to play defense, whereas yeah. other guys, you know, you're coming up and everyone criticizes high school coaches, AAU, all that stuff. You're not really taught defense much anymore. No. Most guys learn defense at the NBA level. Absolutely. So just because a guy maybe doesn't excel on defense in college doesn't mean that he doesn't care. Maybe it just means he doesn't really know what he's supposed to do. Or like Duke, for example, they played a 2-3 zone. Right. 2-3 zone, like the whole year, yeah. almost. I mean, And, and, and let, me, let me throw this out, too. I don't want to get into some sort of uh, political rant about the one-and-done nature of sports, okay? Yep. But uh, I think we saw this with Ben Simmons. Is there anybody that watched Ben Simmons this year that thought he had a low motor and didn't play hard? No. Okay. Ben Simmons' LSU team was a 500 team that didn't make the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times Ben Simmons looked, quote-unquote, disengaged. The reason he was disengaged is because he was buying his time until he went where he was supposed to be. Yeah. And I think if you read – there was a really good article in The Ringer about Bamba, for example. I think some people have gone, well, what about Bamba's motor? Bamba basically admitted – he's like, hey, I liked UT, but this was a stopping point. So I don't know what coaching he's getting at UT. I don't know what he's being told to do at UT. And I also know in the back of his mind he's buying his time until he can get on with his life. So I'm not going to criticize the motor of an 18-year-old kid that knows he is wasting his time. Okay, I don't know how many of you out there listening know 18-year-old kids. It's hard to get them engaged <laughs> with something they love. Senioritis, man. Right. Much less, hey, go waste the next seven months of your life, and then you can get on with your life. Well, oh, and while you're doing that, I want you to show the most integrity and motor. I mean, dude, what are we talking yeah, about? One, here? trying not to get hurt, too. Look what happened to Dennis. L- yeah, and, Dennis and, Smith and, tore his ACL in high school, and that hurt him, arguably. I mean, coming out of high school, for sure, and definitely in the draft. Absolutely. And so... You know, it's 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 more it's a much bigger discussion. I'm not going to judge like okay. And the other thing I'd give you is, if you look at the Dennis Smith experience, he missed his senior year of high school. He played at NC State. The coach got fired. The whole thing was was a disaster. And people are looking at Dennis Smith's body language as a 18 year old, 19 year old kid dealing with a with a mess on his hands and being blamed for it, and they're judging his body language. Then the Mavericks send Don Cockstein to interview him, and Don Cockstein, who's been with the organization for a long time, also does stuff with the Rangers. I think he does stuff with the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. He's looking, he's interviewing this kid going, man, I don't know what people are talking about this being a bad guy. I think he's a great guy. So if you're going to make these pronouncements about what an 18-year-old who is wasting a year of his life is doing at college basketball when you have no idea what coaching he's getting – I think that's a mistake. The other thing I would say is especially for bigs, college basketball is a tremendous waste of time. Most guards don't know how to set bigs up, um, and they're not playing pro style of offenses, and they're not getting pro style coaching. There's a lot of great college. I'm not taking any shots at coaches, but if I'm a college coach, am I trying to prepare Mo Bamba or Jackson Jr. or Aiton for the NBA? You're trying to keep your job. I'm trying to keep my job. Okay, so that whole scenario is problematic for trying to evaluate whether or not a guy is going to be good. And the other thing is, it's up to the guy. If the guy wants to be great, he's going to get coaching here that will blow whatever. I guarantee you, Bomba's working with that guy, Hanlon, that worked with Joel Embiid. Yep. I think Shaka Smart's a great coach. I think the UT program's awesome. I guarantee you that Bamba's gotten more out of the last four weeks than he got in the previous six months at the University of Texas, and it ain't even close. It's just like prepping for 
a new job. Like if you're going to go into marketing, why are you studying, you know, architecture? Right. Like it's just a different, it's a totally different arena. Totally It'd be di- different if I thought that one of these guys was a quote unquote bad kid or truly didn't care. It's like, man, I'm just going to get a paycheck and coast. I get all that. I've never sensed any of that from any of these top prospects. Yep. And that's why these individual workouts and uh, psychological exams that they do are so important because that's where the team gets to know, okay, is this guy going to come in and work the way Harrison Barnes and Dwight Powell do? Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, you want to talk about player development? Look at Dwight Powell from the time he got here to the, what he is now. That's player development. You ain't getting that in college. Yeah, and if you go back and look at that 2014 draft, Powell was taken, I think, 45th overall or something. Mm, second round pick. Probably should have been taken like 30 spots higher. Absolutely. At least. But some, like we said, you just don't know. But don't uh, you know you know Dwight Powell personally? Yeah. He wants it. Yeah, he's gonna wait, He's going to put in the work. Absolutely. And, and, and you wonder why sometimes you see a guy continue to get minutes whenever it seems like he's struggling. Well, it's because the coaches have seen stuff off the floor. Right. They see him in the gym every day. Right. They know that he's capable of doing it. It's just about putting him in a position to actually do it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, some guys just – they earn a chance. And that's, that's all you can do. You can only fight to earn a chance. Uh, okay, skin. It's time. It's time. Let's go. Uh, let's go do some prospect talk. Kay. So, I want to hear whenever I say a name, I'll say the name, couple stats, per game stats. Nothing too crazy because honestly, there aren't a lot of like really kind of like advanced, pertinent college stats that are available for free. Um, and I want to hear what you like about the player. Okay. Um, and then we can talk about maybe a couple things that they either need to improve on or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so these are going to be guys that are almost certainly going to be taken in the top eight in some order, maybe top ten. Uh, so first, let's start off with the big man from Arizona, DeAndre Ayton. Last year he averaged as a freshman. He averaged 20, 20 points, 20.1 points, 11.5 rebounds, two blocks, shot 61% from the field, 34% from beyond the arc. He is considered at this point a possible number one pick alongside Luka Doncic that we'll mm-hmm. get to later. He's, uh, you know, the tag of no-brainer. He's a no-brainer, baby. I mean, he is – you know, uh, I, this other conversation we get into when we start talking about quote-unquote modern bigs and the modern game and all this. So, like, one of the comps you've seen on Aiton is David Robinson, and I've seen some people kind of recoil and go, wait a minute, they don't, those centers don't exist anymore. I was like, dude, if David Robinson or Olajuwon played in the modern NBA – they would be dominant players doing different things because they would have been taught something different. Mm. I'm convinced that if Olajuwon had come along 25 years later, I think we'd be considering him the greatest player ever. Dude. Because of his... His footwork, his hit, foot speed, and dude, skill level was He would amazing. have been dribbling down and knocking down threes. All the stuff that Boogie does, Olajuwon could probably do a little better, even, dude, which is crazy be, to say. But. He'd be crossing guys up at midcourt and going behind his back and pulling from 20. Yeah. I mean, so... I don't mean that as a knock going, hey, he's a throwback. I think he has all the tools to to be a dominant player. And the other thing I'd say about, you know, bigs in the modern NBA, hey, I get it. Kevin Durant is a freak. Kevin Durant's a seven-footer, okay? So let's not act like, uh, you know, he's some six-seven guard out. He's not. He's a seven-footer, okay? Mm-hmm. Conversely, how are you going to match up with Anthony Davis? Conversely, how are you going to match up with Joel Embiid? There's really only one super freak team in the Golden State. Houston plays Capella, and they're about to give him a max contract. So all this big talk, you just want a big that can move. Aiton can absolutely move. And of all the guys that we talk about in the quote-unquote big category, I think he's the most polished offensively. 
So to me, no brainer. Uh, I get if someone doesn't want to take him number one because they want uh, the Slovenian kid. But to me, I mean, it's just too hard to get that type of player. One thing that is always said about freshmen, especially big guys, is they're going to have to put on weight. Mm -hmm. We said about guards to Dennis last year, they need more muscle. You have to be a freak to play in the NBA. Aiton is already in supreme physical shape for a guy his age, which is crazy. He looks like a 23-year-old. Yeah, he really does. And he plays like it, too. He's very polished. He's very polished. Um, I mean, he, he posts up a lot, and, and teams don't really post up anymore. He did a lot in college because that's what was asked of him. But to know that he can do it is good, but he can also hit mid-range shots. Um, he didn't handle the ball much, but he can pass. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't shoot a lot of threes, but he's got an okay touch. Yep. Um, he seems like the kind of guy that is ready to come in and play right away, which is not something that you can always say about centers. Right, this and especially 19-year-olds, yeah. freshmen. Yeah, I right? mean, most, most times whenever you're, whenever you're taking an 18, 19, 20-year-old center, it is a three- to five-year even Clint Capello, one of the best centers in the league. Right. He was coming off the bench for two or three years. Yeah. He and was, in fact, you know, uh, we've, we've known Daryl Morey for a long time. I can remember a couple years ago when everyone had penciled in Nene as the starter. Yeah. And uh, there was just a little group of guys. It was, after, it was when we played Houston in the preseason. And there was just a little group of guys standing there talking to him. And he just flat let out, Capella's our starting center. I remember a couple of the journalists there kind of go, oh, whoa, whoa, what's yep. going on here? But they knew what they had, and they knew the style of ball that they wanted to play, and they knew that he fit in. Mm. Um, and so I think, too, like, you know, we know what Capella is, and we know what those kinds of bigs are. I think the real appeal of Aiton is obviously he can be that, but I think he can be so much more offensively. Yeah, offensively is where I think he's going to give you um, – is where he's going to make his money, yeah. so to speak. Basically, this last year's draft seemed to be more about guys that are ready to go offensively. Mm -hmm. There weren't as many guys like Nilakina, Jonathan Isaac are really, really good defensive prospects, but mm -hmm. last year was mostly about guys who can score. Right. This year it seems like that it's more about guys that can defend. Aiton is one of those guys that can score for sure. Absolutely. Defensively, I think he's going to have to learn, but he's 19. Everyone and, has to learn. And I'd, I'd like Everyone to go to back 15 minutes in this podcast. I really don't know what his level of defensive engagement was based on what his life decisions were. Yeah. He I mean, may have been buying time, baby. Well, and he was playing power forward too, which mm -hmm. is so weird. They went I double mean, big. Yeah, they went they went too big. And just same with, like uh, Duke. Yeah, just like Duke. And um, Markel Fultz's Washington team had two posts. So you watch Markel Fultz play last year and you think, well, wait a minute. What is what is going on? Well, it's just – it's system. It's not – it's nobody's fault. It's just the system. So uh, Duke, you mentioned that. Here we go. Marvin Bagley. Love Last him. year, as a freshman at Duke, averaged 21 points, 11 boards, shot 61% from the field, almost 40% from three. As the year went on, started taking more threes. Love him. Love him. Love him. Love him. Uh, so he's another guy that people knocked his defense and motor. Um, they knocked his defensive motor. The way he rebounded and went after the glass, it's clear he has a motor. Um, and then the other thing, 11 too, boards a game is a power forward. It's awesome. Um, and the other thing, too, I mean, the 21 and 11 are basically Aiton's numbers. Um, and then people say, well, if he's going to be a power forward, he's going to have to shoot the ball with more range. To me, I just look at his stroke, and he shoots the ball effortlessly, and I have zero doubts that he will extend out to three-point range. The shot da does look pretty – he looks pretty comfortable shooting. Absolutely. Which Anthony that Davis, doesn't count for much, but it does. It does. Anthony Davis was not shooting the ball with range coming out of college. Mm -hmm. So it will be developed. It will – He, I think – he is, if I were to, like, rank my can't-miss guys, 
I would have eight and one, and I'd have Bagley one A. Uh, uh, I think he will be a. I don't know what he's going to be defensively in the league. I know he has the tools to be what he needs to be defensively in the league. But I think if you ask a lot of people, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns ain't leaving it all out on the defensive end. He has the ability to, but a lot of guys that are asked to score put more energy in on the offensive end. And that's that's fine. Yes. Honestly, that's just how it is. I think I, – I honestly and truly think that if – I would be – I'd have zero surprises if Bagley was your rookie of the year next year. I love him. I, I loved him all year long. Um, I think he's special. I think he's, he's the one guy that, from whatever my rankings, hey, who could be franchise changers, I would have those two guys ahead of anybody else. The ability to score, I think, is becoming kind of underrated now that, I mean, stats show defense matters more than offense, right? Right. Like, if you're a really good defensive team, your odds of winning the title go way high, way up. Right. But they only go so high if you can if you can score. You know, Gotta, like, you, you have to be able to score. Did you read the great uh, athletic article this week on the old D'Antoni Kerr relationship? No, I did not. It, read it. It's yeah. awesome reading. But D'Antoni used to get very, you know upset that people always took shots at his defense and it was a phoenix team that won 61 games he goes well we were better defensively 61 times because <laughs> as we all know the point of the game is to outscore the other team yeah uh and so there's things that can impact defense like pace and different things um so yeah you you have to play a little bit of defense but this game has always been about sticking the ball in the basket yeah for sure and i mean look at it this way if you're top 10 in offense and defense efficiency so this is points scored per 100 possessions you're elite. probably going to win the championship. You're elite. And if you're not top 10 in either, you're not going to make the playoffs. Yeah. And if you're top 10 in one and not top 10 in the other, you're probably going to make the playoffs, but you're not going to the championship. The Mavs, for reference, uh, they've been middle of the pack defensively the last three years. They've been 17th, 15th, and 17th, which is passable. Fine. You're right in the middle, yeah. If you're great offensively. Yeah, but the last two years, they've been 25th and 24th in offense. So it's it's And it, and it just goes to show you that, that why the Mavericks so needed to have a, of a – overhaul and a reboot because it is shocking to hear Carlisle teams being that third of the league. It is. It's very surprising. Because he that, is an offensive mastermind. Yeah, before that, uh, when did he first get here? 2008, 2008, 2009, they were fifth, then 10th, 8th, 22nd during the lockout year, then 14th, 3rd, 5th, 11th. So they've been like top 10 almost every year under they Carlisle. Good. They good. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of – that's why they went Dennis yeah. last year. You know. So we'll see. But anyway, offense matters a lot. Breaking news. Next guy, known more for his defense, Mo Bamba from UT as a freshman, averaged 13 points, 10.5 rebounds, 3.7 blocks, shot 54% from the field. Oh, one more thing about Bagley. I'm sorry. I did yep. want to say this. You talk about system, style, fit, things like that. At Duke, uh, he was used He was used as the role man in the pick and roll at Duke 24 times. All season. I mean, I'm in 24 no times way. all season. This is exactly what we were talking about earlier. You cannot say anything disparaging about the basketball acumen of the great Mike Krzyzewski. Incredible, legendary coach, deservedly Hall of Fame, all-time great. His goal is to win NCAA championships, not train Bagley to be an NBA big. Yep. That is a waste of the player's time. Yep. But if you're Coach K, you say, well, Bagley's a super freak. He can jump really high. Let's post him up against a smaller four, and he's just going to feast, which he did. Yes. But – that's not how the NBA goes. It's just like, dude, it's almost like uh, just turning on a game and watching a guy on the high post and the low post on the strong side of the floor. I just like, 
I'm having flashbacks to 1985 yeah. Washington Bullets basketball. I'm like, what? What is this? Yeah. Are, is this a prank? <laughs> I don't understand. It's a space game, right? No, we're going to load up. Yeah, this is not how it works anymore. Uh, Bomba, get back to Bomba. Sorry. So yep. 13 points, 10 and a half boards, four blocks, 54% shooting, 27.5% from three. Didn't shoot um, that many of them, did he? Did not shoot that many of them. I want to say about one a game. Uh, or 1.7 attempts per game uh, went down as the year went on. Uh, although in those workout videos, you can't trust workout videos too much because they are just workouts. But it does appear that he has tweaked his shot a lot with Drew Hanlon, like you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a guy at UT. Uh, they did run plenty of pick and roll through him mm-hmm. uh, smartly, but it seemed like because they had another post, they had that guy. I don't remember his name. Yeah, with the floppy uh, curly hair. Yeah, the floppy curly hair, he, and he was like sort of a, a, th- a thicker guy, built kind of like Draymond. Didn't play anything like him. Good uh, college big. Yeah, didn't have a lot of range, but was frequently around the basket. So a lot of the times, Bamba would set the screen and then pop, mm-hmm. and that's something that could translate to the NBA. But a guy with his reach. The closer to the basket, the better. Yeah, for me, you know, that player is all about upside, and I think that the upside is ridiculous. And I don't mean that to do a cliche and make a funny joke. Mm. He, The second he is drafted, he has the longest wingspan in NBA history. That includes the Minute Bulls and the Sean Bradleys. And Rudy Gobert. And Rudy Gobert. And he is a better athlete than all of them, and it's not close. I look at his shoulders. He is absolutely going to fill out. Um, he is the same size now, by some accounts, as Tyson Chandler when Tyson Chandler came out. Wow. He's about 20 to 25 pounds less than what Embiid weighed. Okay. But all these people that are talking about raw offense and all this, I want you to go show me the Kansas footage where Embiid, you watched Embiid and goes, yep, that guy's about to drop 20 a night. Yeah. This is a game of you got to develop these guys. Okay. He, I think – Three years from now, we could be talking about him as the best player in the draft. I would like people, to, like people to go back and watch the Greek freak when he was coming out playing against a bunch of dudes that looked like they played at the Y and that also ran Greek League. <laughs> I'm telling you, if Bamba wants it. Okay, the thing that stuck with me is when we played Milwaukee and before the game, Carlisle was doing the pregame presser and said – Giannis is one of the five most competitive guys in the league. So you want to know why he is what he is today? That's why. Okay? He's got all the physical tools, but there's plenty of guys that have had physical tools and didn't want it. If Bamba wants it, and he's, you know, there's a really great article in The Ringer you can read. If Bamba wants it, then I think he has the potential to be a franchise-changing player. Because he is a skinny guy and he doesn't have just Aiton's type of offensive ability right now, I understand the hesitation. I firmly believe, and I'll throw this out too. I'm not going to say the name of the guy. But I was talking to an NBA coach at the end of the season about skinny guys because I was very interested in Bamba. And he's looking at me like, what? He goes, man, and this is a guy who's been in the league forever. Mm. He goes, I never worry about putting weight on a player. He's like, in fact, the only other time was there was one guy uh, named Joel Prisbilla, and we put weight on him too fast. That's the only other time I've ever – he goes, did you see Aldridge coming out? Yeah, Aldridge was skinny, man. Dude, go back and look at Tyson Anthony Chandler. Davis was skinny. Anthony Davis was a pole. There's pictures. I, there was a picture, I think, on ESPN or something, like his media day picture year mm-hmm. after year, and he's adding like 10 pounds just to his arms every year. Uh, every I mean, year. It's, and it's, if it's, you, a, it's if you, a 
long term plan. I, and I get it. He's long and skinny. Look at his shoulders. You don't think you can put it, it's he's built a lot like Tyson Chandler. The difference is that his arms are way longer. Mm. He also moves, I would say, just as well, if not better than Tyson Chandler. The potential is through the roof. I don't know. I read, you know, he's a great kid and wants it and all this. I don't know. The Mavericks will figure that out or whatever team is at the top of the, you know. Yeah, I the, mean, the Mavs and every other team is going to talk to all these guys. They're going to interview the, And these guys all want to – that's the thing. There's so many big men and wings too, and we'll get to them. But there's like four or five centers. You think they all want to be number one? Yes. I mean, if, and they're going to they're gonna do – like normally – in a, in a normal draft where it's all evenly distributed, maybe you got like two centers, three power forwards, two guards, you know, three point guards, whatever. Like they can skip out on the combine. They don't need to worry about it. You know, right. Because the, the team that's picking third overall, well, they don't need a small forward, so I don't care about them. They only need a center. There's a bunch of guys at the same position. Yeah. So like Bamba versus Jackson, Bagley versus Aiton, like yep. that's going to be some pretty intense and, stuff, and interviews and, and workouts and all that. And don't you think as we also – this is what I think has been fun is is as we talk about the modern NBA, don't you think you kind of have to throw Bagley in the mix with those guys? I mean, there's yeah, going to be mean, teams kinda. that are going to look at him as a center yeah, in the quote-unquote modern NBA. Yeah, or playing as – I guess the it's they say it's more about the position you guard than the position you yes. play. Yes. But if you're with a tall guy who can shoot, then Bagley is kind of your inside yeah. guy. Or and, you and, can go in out, whatever. And because he rebounds. And let me say this, too. I, 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 I get caught up. Center, it doesn't matter. Uh, Brad Stevens, they don't, they don't use fours and fives. They have bigs, wings, and a point. Yeah. So that's the way a lot of people look at it. Well, is he a center or a power forward? Who cares? He's a big and you may have one, and you may have two. It depends on the floor at the same time. It yep. depends who you're playing and what you're trying to do. Ideally, you have three or four on your team. Yes, but yeah, one or two on the floor. Right. Um, yeah. So that's Bamba, big, tall guy. I think the the interesting thing about this draft, and I guess there's a lot of debate on Twitter and other channels, is between Bamba and Jaron Jackson. Mm-hmm. And I think your preference on those guys says more about you than it does about them. I think you're right. That's Bamba, perfect. Yeah, Bamba is kind of the traditional rim guy, Mm -hmm. the guy with the long arms that's going to stand at the basket and intimidate you like Rudy Gobert, like these other guys that are just really tall, strong, mean guys. And then you have Jaron Jackson, went to Michigan State, freshman. He's only 19. He played his entire season as – well, he's he's only 18 right now. Played his entire season as an 18-year-old. He will be 19 in September. Um, He a baby. He is young, but he is quick, spends all his time on the perimeter – Average three blocks a game, just like Bamba. Bamba averaged about three and a, three and a half, four. Jackson averaged three in a little, slightly fewer minutes. Pretty thick too. Yeah, I mean he's surprisingly out. for his size, yeah, for his age and size. Yeah, yeah. Spends a lot of the time on the perimeter. More of a guy like if you watch Game One of the Western Conference Finals, whenever Kevon Looney got switched mm-hmm. onto Harden and on mm-hmm. Chris Paul, Jackson seems like the guy that's comfortable out there. Bamba seems like the guy that's going to stuff you at the rim. So they're kind right. of they're kind of different. They both block a lot of shots. They do it in different ways. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do you think about Jackson? Average eleven points, six boards, three blocks, fifty-one percent from the field, almost forty percent from three. One more stat that you didn't include there, and then you know we t- we talked about this with Donnie Nelson when we had him on the pod. Eighty percent from the free throw line, which is very nice. That's an indication that he can shoot the ball. Yeah, uh, I like him a lot. I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. Uh, you know, the knock on him is that he fouls too much, mm-hmm. which cut into his minutes. Um, but I'm not worried about that because Dwight Powell used to foul too much. That can be and, – and, you know, we get into – you know, we're not around these guys, but everyone seems to indicate that he has a high IQ. 
uh, basketball IQ. So uh, I think he can learn. A lot of that, too, is about positioning, you know, when you get in foul trouble. Also, the college game is officiated way differently than the pro game. It is. So I don't, you know, in terms of, like, his negatives or the knocks on him, I, I don't really worry about any of those things. I think it's very likely – that uh, him and Bamba are both top five picks or top six picks. And I think, you know, I like what you're saying, this whole idea of it, it says more about you and what your preference is. I think eventually, you know, when you're trying to separate those, those two guys, I think eventually you'll feel more comfortable early on with uh, Jackson in your offense than you will with Bamba. I think early on Bamba will be a better help defender. Um, but I think both of those guys will even out in both regards. I, you know, the, the separation thing for me if, would be if I'm making that draft pick would come down to my psychological exams and how hard I see the guys work. and, well, and, and maybe too. I mean, it depends on the team, the way you like to play defense. For sure. So, like, for example, the Warriors are switching their center onto James Harden, which is like – unheard of right if you're one of those teams you might be more inclined to go one way if right. you're a team that likes to have like utah for example they follow bear is the fulcrum yeah he is every everyone steers their guy into him then maybe right. you're gonna go the other way right and i guess every team is different but um but yeah man jackson so bomba's wingspan is what seven foot nine yes jackson, longest in nba history which is insane uh jackson's is seven foot four so that's not too bad either no not at so, all so um if you Aiton is considered definitely the number one big guy. Bagley is considered probably the number two big guy. If you get either of those guys, though, Bamba Jackson, you're you're doing pretty well. I, I would be very excited. And I think if you just look at most mock drafts, the Mavericks are in a position to get one of those two guys if that's how they evaluate this thing. Yeah, if it is. And maybe, it's, maybe they want one of the wings, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I know we've said we're excited about all these guys, but man, this is a pretty—it's a pretty talented draft class in an interesting way. I think last year, like I said, is more about NBA-ready offense. This one is more about like athleticism, defense, like defensive possibilities. With yes. These big guys, basically. Um, okay, wings. Let's start at the very top. Luka Doncic, who is. 19, I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. just turned 19, mm-hmm. young. He's been playing pro ball hey, at Real Madrid, which is one of the, if not the best team that's not in the NBA yeah. in the world. They, they would pound any college team. Yeah. And pound they, them. I don't want to say that they would well, – it's not even worth talking about. But, yeah, they would definitely – they would run the table in the NCAA. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt about it. Their roster is littered with guys that have played in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Like, their starting lineup has all been in the league. Yeah. Except for Doncic, who is going to be in the league soon. Right. Um, so he's kind of your um, do-it-all playmaking wing. Average 14.5 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.2 steals, 45% from the field, 31 from 3, 80 from the free throw line. Had a triple-double the other day. Has been playing against pros for a few years now. Dominated the EuroLeague, which is like the the best of the best in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, seems to be the most NBA-ready, is what they'll say, NBA-ready European prospect ever. Yes. Um, we'll see about that in six months. I'm personally a huge fan. What do you think? Yeah, I, it's really hard for me to evaluate him because all I've seen is YouTube clips. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with the negatives. I'll give, you, I'll give you some passwords and you can watch some games. Okay, good. Let's start with the negatives. For a guy who's an offensive wizard, I don't like that he shot 30% on a shorter three-point line. 
However, when I watch him shoot, he looks like a great shooter to me. It is a longer three-point line than college. Yes. But I believe it's like maybe a foot shorter than the NBA. Yeah, it's the like top it's parts. Like, and then, yeah, you know, yeah. So, uh, but again, I'd like to throw out the same thing I said about Bagley earlier. When I watch him shoot, I don't – I mean, I, I, like, I like watching him shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen plenty of clips of him shooting off the dribble, uh, and he looks like he can do it all. I think the thing that's interesting about him is the struggle to find a comp for him. Uh, our fearless leader, Mark Cuban, told Eddie Sefko uh, that he was a six-seven Steve Nash. I thought that was ridiculous. I thought Cuban's preparing forty-three percent from three. Every- yeah, and and like if you watch his just a brilliant athlete. The knock on Doncic. Am I saying his name right? I've heard Doncic. I've heard Doncic. I, I Doncic. Okay, that's what I've been saying. Until yeah. Um, so the, the knock on him is his athletic ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Steve Nash was a premier world-class athlete. He didn't have the crazy jumping ability of some guys. But if you look at him, I mean, th- that motor, oh, my God. Uh, his f- feet just never stopped. So I think it's hard to make – I think that was Cuban trying to prepare our fan base in case we were in the position to draft him if we drafted him. Hey, everybody, it's a 6'7 yeah, Steve I mean, Nash. One, it's a local example, too. Yeah. You know? Um, I would say, quite honestly, ready for this, ready for me to like mess people's heads up. Mm-hmm. He's most like LeBron James if LeBron James wasn't an athlete at all. If you look at the passing, if you look at the size, he's 6'8", uh, and he's already a reasonably thick kid. He's like 230, isn't he? What are they he's, he's very well built. Um, if you look at those things, the thing that's different is LeBron can jump out of the gym and is as strong as a ox. Mm. Okay, but if you strip the athletic ability away, I think their games are very similar. He's a playmaking wing. This idea that he's a point guard, no, he's not a point guard because he will get torched by every point guard in the but league. He does look to pass, and he can pass and very, very, very well. Yes, and he can play off of people because he has a high IQ. The best example of this is, uh, as the story goes, Dragic was concerned about playing with him on the Slovenia national team because he heard he was a ball-dominant player, and we know Dragic is a ball-dominant player, loved playing with him. Uh, he's going to make the right pass. He's also got a knack for making game-winning plays mm. at the end of games. So, uh, having said that, you know, I think it's kind of hard to. I'm, it's hard for me to project a six-eight non-athlete. Um, but I think skill-wise and all those sorts of things, there's zero doubt in my mind he'll be uh, an exceptional offensive player. Mm. Um, I think that he's going to be an interesting case study because not only is he very, very talented and skilled, but also unlike the his competition in this year's draft class he's been coached for multiple years at like the highest level in the yeah, world right um, playing against Euroleague opponents who are the best teams from every best league in Europe playing so the, a style of basketball that is way closer to the NBA than what college is playing the style of basketball that has made the NBA the way it is Golden State San Antonio yeah. those I sorts mean, Greg of teams. Popovich like runs a European system yes I mean so He's been playing basically pro basketball since I think he was like 15 is when right. he debuted on the on the on the big league squad. Um, and when you play for that long, you pick up on some tricks. For example, uh, he draws a lot of fouls, and the way he does it is not the he just gets you know he, he he's not like trying to sky over people and they're they're body checking him. He's using his frame to fend off guys, get them on their hip, and then they reach. Mm-hmm. Or he's so strong that he can go into somebody and still finish. He shoots yeah. a ton of free throws, and he shoots them well. 
which is part of the reason that you think his, his three-point percentage can improve. Kind of a, a bigger Harden in that regard. He is very similar, and people have drawn the comparison, too, because he likes that step-back three, yeah. which is becoming the in-vogue shot because right. it's basically unguardable. Right. I'm interested, though, this is kind of maybe for a different discussion, but I'm interested if the NBA will ever legislate out the way that Harden shoots it, which is he takes one step back and then a second step. It's yes. like he's like going from nothing and then one, two steps backward. It's almost like a, it's it's like almost a travel. Because, it's a travel. And, yeah. and and just for uh, I can say it now because he's retired and I consider him a friend. Mm-hmm. Darren Williams traveled every single time he shot. He did. Do um, those, he took so, those steps. I mean, there was a play in the Philly series against Miami where Robert Covington. Oh yeah, that was had the ball was ready to shoot and he just sidestepped with both feet and shot it. So. To your point, as Harden has become increasingly unguardable, Mm -hmm. will that be a point of emphasis? Yeah, and I I think, I mean, generally, the league has taken measures to stop unstoppable plays. Yeah. As it should, and also because just, I mean, this is my own personal preference, step-back threes aren't very, like, aesthetically pleasing to me, so I'm all right if they do something to it. But until they do, that is the shot, and Doncic can hit that shot. Yep. Hits it very often, looks for it, and... I mean, frankly, if you're not going to be um, the quickest guy in the world, right. then you better be able to have counter if they yes. play tight on you, and right. that is one way to do it. Um, that's why That's why when people compare him to Ginobili, I think they're talking about that stuff, but I just saw Ginobili as such an elite athlete. Yeah, he was I mean, quick, man. God, he was so fast. Yeah, he was – and it used to drive my dad crazy. He'd always yell he's left-handed. Guys are defending his right hand. And but, he I mean, he's, can't stop he's, so, he's, he's shifty and quick. Yes. I think you – I mean, it's generally just you watch white guys play. You say, oh, they're just so, like, there's they have such savvy. They're so clever. But, mm-hmm. no, like, Ginobili was just a burner. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. He was a stud athlete. A guy that I think Doncic is kind of similar to, and this might trigger some people, but Chandler Parsons, very similar. Okay. Parsons a little taller. A lot taller. Uh, he was at his best um, but until his knee injuries robbed him. Uh, he was at his best playing power forward. Uh-huh. I think Doncic is more of a small forward uh-huh. than a two. I do, too. Um, but – Big guy, playmaker, yeah. can get in the paint, can yeah. shoot a little bit, is comfortable pulling up, shooting off the dribble. Those are all very, very like modern NBA traits. Like Doncic is a we talk about Trey Young as like the Steph Curry impersonator. Please. Doncic is kind of the the wing equivalent of that. He is mm-hmm. like built for this league and it helps that he's been playing basically pro ball for a while. But Keeps his head up when he's moving, very good in the pick and roll, reads the floor, plays at a comfortable speed. He just looks like he's been playing pro for a long time. Yes, and he uh, has. Yeah, so I really like him. Okay, another uh, seems like a, a pair of guys unrelated. Mikel Bridges from Villanova, Miles Bridges from Michigan State. Uh, it seems like the guy you prefer, kind of like B- uh, Bamba and uh, Jaron Jackson, says more about you than them. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're kind of similar. They do have differences. So Mikel first. Three-year player at Villanova, won two national championships. How about that? So how about that? Very like good. Uh, yeah, very good pedigree there. 17.7 points, five boards, one and a half steals, 1.1 blocks, 51 from the field, 43 from three, 85 from the free throw line. My goodness, look at those split skin. I love him. Uh, he is, let's see, I, I believe he has a seven-foot wingspan on the button. Uh, he's listed at 6'7", 200. I think, uh, you know, if we want to do a easy comp, I think he's – has the potential to be better than this, although I really respect this player and he's had a great NBA career. I think the Trevor Ariza comp is easy. I could see that. Um, I like him a lot. I think because of the way this draft is structured and there's so many good bigs and bigs are hard to get that no one's really talking about him being a top five or six pick. I think in other drafts he might have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I I love him. I love him. Um, I way prefer him to the other Bridges, Miles Bridges. I see a lot of uh, – 
Justin Anderson when I watch Miles Bridges play. In terms of size and the way he sort of carries himself. And they're and both left-handed. Both left-handed, the way they shoot. Um, but uh, I think he's one of those guys, too, if he goes to the right team. Uh, you know, like the example I'd give is how Michael Finley as a rookie immediately fit in with the Phoenix Suns, and there was a veteran team, and he played great and played a role for them. If he went to the right situation, and I'm saying this because, for example, Cleveland has the eight pick. Uh, somewhere in there. Somewhere yeah. in there. I could see him going, and they might even think about starting him. Uh, you know, that's how highly I think of him. I think he'll be a really good NBA player. It's obviously catch-and-shoot guy that can defend and switch and all those things now. So a lot of it depends on who they, who you get with and what kind of coaching you get and some of those things. But I'm very high on that player. Yeah, I think 3 and D has almost become like a stigma. Yeah. Uh, it implies that that's all you can do. And some guys who are called 3 and D can't do one or the other or either. Mm-hmm. Um but Bridges can definitely shoot the three. Yeah, I mean, forty-three percent from three in a college season is like elite, 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 elite. And He's, if you watch Villanova play, he would catch and shoot with hands in his face. Yeah, and they run Villanova runs probably the most pro-style offense in right. college, at least among like the big teams. Yep. Uh, it's all pace and space. That's yep. why I think that's why I like Jalen Brunson as a prospect mm-hmm. because he's used to playing like pick and roll space. NBA genes. Um, yeah, and 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 I mean. Whatever you win a couple national championships, you can pin it up to you can chalk it up to luck, or you can say maybe they're doing something right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bridges, phenomenal defender, uh, very 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 good shooter as a wing prospect, which is not very common. Okay, um, his counterpart, no relation, Miles Bridges. Yep. Listed at six six two twenty six. Not as tall, maybe not as long, but is a little sturdier, a little thicker built. Mm -hmm. Some people project him as able to play power forward uh, in addition to small forward, whereas whereas Mikel's probably more of a small forward. Ring player. I guess like small ball four if you want to go there, but he's very similar to Ariza in terms of size. Bridges, a little – or Miles Bridges, sorry, a little thicker. I will say uh, as – Kind of the, the the word lately is that Miles is a little better is creating his own shot than uh, Mikhail, but both averaged uh, one point per possession as the pick-and-roll ball handler, which is very impressive. Uh, Mikhail scored uh, almost a point per possession in isolation, whereas Miles scored basically the same, .92 in isolation. Um, Miles, let's see what he did at Michigan State last year. As a sophomore, 17.7 boards, 3 assists, 46 from the field, 36 from 3, a similarly saucy 85% from the free throw line. That's which awesome. Is very, if you're above 80 in college, you're good. Yeah. You're very good. Yep. Um, I think uh, I'm, I'm a little more bullish on Mikhail Bridges. I think the thing that's kind of interesting is that, you know, it depends on what week it is, but he seen, there was points where Miles Bridges seemed to have lost a little draft stock over last year had he come out. Yeah. And then it comes back, right? Mm-hmm. I think another guy just like that is Robert Williams at a and yeah. where it's like, well, he should have come out last year. Oh, no, it's coming back. You know, so it's like I think it's really more of an indication of, you know, they stagnated at the college level more than anything. I mean, another good example of that is Grayson Allen. Mm-hmm. You know, t- two years ago, people thought Grayson Allen was a mid-first-round pick, and now they think he's a second-round pick. Yep. Is he? What's changed? Nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just, you, you know, there's stagnation there. Um, I think uh, he, there's an explosiveness with Miles Bridges, uh, and I think maybe it probably comes back to what you're talking about with his strength. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, an explosiveness with Miles Bridges that McHale doesn't 
He's an athlete, man. Yeah, where Mikhail, he's an athlete. And that's why I was kind of making the Justin Anderson comparison. Yeah. I mean, remember, we'd see plays where Justin Anderson would just bounce and, whoa! Mm. Miles Bridges has more of that. Mm. Uh, I think for my style of, like, what I prefer out of a wing, I would prefer Mikhail Bridges. But I think if you got either one of those players, you know, you've got a good developmental player. Yeah, you can never have enough wings. You can never have enough shooting. Uh, Miles was more of, like, kind of the offensive alpha at Michigan State. Right. Uh, I think that part of the reason maybe his – his stock suffered a bit is because Villanova's guard play was just way better than Michigan State's, mm-hmm. uh, as evidenced by DiVincenzo and Brunson, both probably going to be in, gone in the first round. Yeah. And I don't think Michigan State will have a guard drafted. Yeah. Um, so whenever you're a small forward and you're your own team's best creator, it's going to lead to some weird stuff. Michigan yep. State was still a great team. I think they won the Big Ten. Or no, mi- well, my school, Michigan, won the Big Ten. But Michigan State was like had the best record in regular season, I mm-hmm. want to say, in the Big Ten. Um very good team. Played with two big men. I mean, Jaron Jackson was sometimes playing power forward. Right. So it was just kind of like a clunky offense at times, but Michigan State always plays low scoring. Yep. Uh, they were still efficient. Miles was still very efficient. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm with you. I think that, Mikhail, just from what I personally value, I mean, if you're going to have – if you're going to have like a pick and roll spread system with a lot of shooting, then I think Mikhail is probably a better fit for your team. Yep. Kind of like Jackson is a better fit for if you're trying to switch everything. But – if you want more like defined roles, if you want a guy that can create his own shot a little bit, and I will say watching Houston kind of struggle whenever they pass it off to guys like Tucker, Ariza, and Bamute, mm-hmm. and they only have five seconds to get a shot up, and they, they panic. They don't know what right, to do. Right. Miles is the kind of guy that can step in and say, if you give me eight seconds, I can get myself a good shot. Right. And he's, he's ready to do that right now. That's yep. not to say that Mikhail won't be. That's right. not to say that Miles is going to be better than Mikhail at it, yep. but it's kind of a different – sort of thing. I think Miles can create for himself a little more. Uh, they can both pass the ball very well. I think Mikhail is more of like, I'm going to play off you. You got it. If I'm open, I'll, I'll knock it down. Right. Yeah, and I, and I think, uh, too, it also comes down – I think both those guys have the tools to develop more than what we've seen. For sure. Uh, so that kind of depends on who they get with and those kinds of things. You know, as you're sitting there talking about Mikhail Bridges, physically and defensively, there's some similarities between him and Dorian. I could see that. he's a, Now, I think Mikael Bridges is a far better shooter naturally. Dorian's turning himself into that. Yep. But, uh, you know, you, when you're talking about never have enough wings, I think, you know, just to put it in maverick parlance, you know, we're comparing Miles to Justin and we're comparing Mikael to Dorian. Okay, uh, but yeah, both yeah, guys yeah. have much better pedigrees coming in than what those players have. Yep. And, man, you watch Mikael shoot. Oh, my God. The ball just it's like – pretty. It, he's got such a nice shot. Yes. I don't know. Whatever Jay Wright is doing at Villanova is working because those guys are, those guys are good. They For can sure. play. Okay, the last guy is also um, the most mysterious. That is a word that is tossed around a lot in draft talk, and I'm, I'm mad at myself for even saying it. But it's true because we just don't know a lot about him beyond high school mixtapes, basically. Michael Porter Jr. from Missouri spent one season there, back injury, basically kept him out the whole year. Played, yes. what, two games? Yeah. Uh, three games. Don't know much about him. I've seen his high school mixtapes. They're impressive, mm-hmm. but everyone has a great high school mixtape. But I think mine was at least average. Yeah, uh, coming into this season, he was considered the likely number one pick. Yep. So the hype was there from the guys that follow these guys from the time they're kids. And usually, if someone is a stud at sixteen, they're going to be a stud in the pros. That's mm-hmm. just kind of how it works. Very rarely do we see fall off unless something happens like off the court uh, or injuries, which unfortunately he suffered. But uh, this will kind of depend on his medicals. Um, but he's, what, 6'10", mm-hmm. he can handle the ball, mm-hmm. he can create for himself, he can shoot it, he can dunk it, he's an athlete, he can run, he can move. 
he seems to be the kind of guy that could be a big-time scorer. We talk about Bagley steps in right away and scores. Porter, if all works well, he can step in and score right away. What more do you know about him that I do not? Uh, I don't know more about him than, than what you said. And I think, you know, you, you nailed it, the mysterious part of it. You know, when we had Donnie on a couple months ago and he was talking about, you know, we've been scouting these guys for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they know about him before the back injury. I think, like, just from a, you know, people say I've seen the Kevin Durant thing thrown around. I think that's way too lofty. He, even when I was watching him before the back injury, I don't want to base anything off the tournament stuff. Yeah, no, that's unfair. Um, unfair. He seemed to move and score a little more similarly to young Carmelo than young Kevin Durant to me. But still, we're talking about Carmelo. What, say whatever you want. Carmelo was an elite player. High-level scorer for yeah. many, many, many years. So I, I think he's somewhere in between that. And I think he has the ability to become a playmaker type, you know, set up other people, not mm-hmm. just be an end user. So I think his range is like four to eight, you know, just because of that sort of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there's going to be some teams that like make may take Carter Jr. ahead of him, for yeah, example. Maybe. Yeah, I guess um, it comes down to fit, too, because Porter is more of a 3-4. If yeah. you need a 4-5 or right. if you need a, a ball handler or whatever. But I, I think, uh, you know, I just – I'm from my perspective, I'm just the most cautious about him just because – Ooh, back injury? Really? At that age? Mm. Those things don't tend to get better. Yeah. Speaking uh, from experience, it seems like you're I'm I'm hurting right now, but <laughs> trust me, the Mavericks will not draft a 47-year-old guy. Okay. So nobody listening Rest should easy work. Yeah. at home. Yeah. Well, I think that from everything that I've read and heard about him and again, I mean, it's I don't want to judge someone off a high school highlight tape. Right. Because it's their 10 best plays. Cool. Everyone did even I scored six points in a game in high school. So, um, but, man, people are saying that he could be really dang good. Yeah. So, like you said about Bamba, three years from now, five years from now, we could say he's the best player. We could be saying the same thing about Porter. You Dude, just, you, how funny would it be if four years from now the two best players from this draft were Bamba and Porter, and they both went after the top four? Yeah, they both went seventh and tenth or whatever. And I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Yeah, I mean, I mean and especially because – for Bamba, there's three other centers that he's up against, or four. For Porter, he's up against a ton of other wings. Man, just like last year, Donovan Mitchell, he was the sixth point guard taken. Even He's not really a point guard, but whatever. Yeah. He's the sixth guard taken, seventh behind Luke Kennard, and he's probably going to be – He's at this point, he's the best player from this draft. He seems like it. Yeah. He certainly seems and like it. And if he gets any better for too much longer, then he's going to be – a monster. And let me let me remind people this, too, because I think they look at this right now and they think about the Mavericks next year. When I'm drafting this high, I'm thinking about the Mavericks in three years. Mm-hmm. That's what these draft picks are about. To me, that's what these draft picks are about. And so I'll give you an example. I would in no way be like, oh, my God, we drafted Jonathan Isaac right now. I let these guys develop. Yeah. So, uh, well, even like that with Dennis, Dennis had a really solid rookie year, but he's probably not even scratching the surface. Heck no. At least, and his stats might not change, but his game is going to change. For sure. A lot. For sure. A lot. Okay, so that was good draft talk presented by Five Miles Skin. Real quick before we get out of here. Yep. This is kind of unfair to bury this at the end, but it's just something that I found interesting. So... Basketball Reference is a good website. If you don't go there, you should. Yep. Uh, this this segment is not brought to you by Basketball Reference, <laughs> but it ought to be because I love that site. But the Mavs this past season set the all-time record, all-time record for – this is kind of a sad record, but it's interesting – for most losses by seven points or less. They lost 34 games this year. 
by seven points or fewer, which means basically they lost a ton of close games. Yep. And some of those seven-point losses, you say, okay, well, they lost by seven. That's not really close. But you're down two with 30 seconds left. You yes. get a couple free throws. Right. Other times, maybe you lose by one, but it really should be seven. So anyway, one to seven is a nice range. There have been uh, – Orlando was another team this year that lost at least 25. They lost 26. But before them, there were 78 instances in the history of the NBA where a team lost at least 25 games by seven points or less. 78 instances all time. This is going all the way back to, I think, the first example. This is from, like, the 50s. Wow. Uh, so this is a long time that we're going here. Of those 78 teams, okay, so you're thinking all these teams either are very bad or got extremely unlucky. Mm-hmm. Maybe both. Mm-hmm. But of those 78 teams, 31 next season won at least 10 more games. And uh, there are four instances of teams that – the following season was during the lockout, and of those four teams, three of them had a win percentage that extrapolated to winning double-digit more games. So 34 of 78 basically won 10-plus games more. Yeah. Okay. 10 saw 15 wins or more. Five saw 20 wins or more. Only 21 won fewer games, and 28 of them would go on to make the playoffs. So 28 of 78. So basically 33% chance of those teams. And – Let's, only six of those teams made the playoffs to begin with. So, like, these are mostly teams that are in the lottery, a lot of teams that have won games in the 20s, low 30s, but one out of every three of them went on to make the playoffs the next season, and mm-hmm. usually this is making minimal changes to the roster. Yep. There are examples like uh, the the Celtics, and the, the, the 2007 Celtics lost 29 games by seven points or less, then they traded for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, they won the championship. Right. But there's one example of that. Right. The rest of this is like, this team was young, like yes. the Wolves last year. Yes. They, they lost, I think, 27 games. i got to find them. This is a very long list, so bear with me. But the Wolves lost a ton of close games last year. Came back this year, they won 47, went to the playoffs, mm-hmm. and gave Houston a, a solid series as an eight seed. Yeah. yeah. So this is a long way of saying last year – whether they got unlucky, whether they just struggled in the clutch, whether they just weren't very good, the odds that the Mavericks are going to be significantly better next year simply by not getting unlucky mm-hmm. is pretty high. I think, you know, if I want to just turn this more into a local sports conversation, I would say go back and look at the Ranger team of two years ago that won a ridiculous number of one-run games yeah. that reversed the next year and they were out of the mix. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a statistical anomaly. One thing that I do think – that it proves, though, is it proves a level of competitiveness because of what it takes to just be in those situations. And I think it proves it's a highly uh, – or it's an outstanding uh, – a very well-coached team is what I'm trying to say. I think those sort of numbers bear that out. And so if you look at those things and you look at the growth and then you look at guys like you know, Berea, who is having a career year that there's no reason to believe he knows how to maintain his body now a little bit differently yep. than he did before. Uh, I just expect, outside of weird injury stuff, this Maverick team is going to be good. Uh, they're going to add a top five player that they'll try to develop. They'll have some cap space. Dennis will get better. Seth Curry might be coming back. I know he's a free agent, but I think it's a good situation to bring him back. We'll see how that all works out. Guys will improve. Uh, I think our second unit is going to be effing killer, just like they were this past year. I would be really surprised if the Mavericks weren't one of those teams, outside of injury, 
fighting for one of those final playoff spots. I don't think we're going to be in the mix for a top three pick next year. Yeah, Will their bench unit be the best in the league like it was this past season at that five-man group that was outscoring teams by like 30 points per 100 possessions? Right. I don't know if they can be that good, but they're still going to be darn good. Um, I think introducing another 19-year-old is kind of a wild card, right. but um, development of Dennis, development of a couple other players, Barnes, Powell, Dirk is still around, uh, and after surgery, hopefully he'll be able to move a little better. I mean, the the ingredients are there for a better team, and, and just for reference, only six of those 78, or only six of those 80 teams uh, lost bef- until the Mavs, who lost 34. Only six of those other 79 teams even lost 30, and half of them went on to make the playoffs, including... The 76 Sun skin who went all the way to the finals. How about that? Yeah, so you heard it here first. And I, I will that, say. Is that, the, is that the team that played Boston in the finals? Yeah, and then Gar Hurd shot her around the world. The and famous Paul Westfall timeout technical foul situation. Yeah, all right. close finals. That? that was right before the uh, that was right before the league expanded. But, um, I, like, Phoenix going all the way to the finals. I mean, I wasn't around in 1976, so I can't say. But I would imagine having so much experience in close games certainly helped them win in the playoffs. Um and that's kind of – you hope to see the Mavericks learn some lessons from last year's failures and apply them to these similar situations next year. They will. Where you say bounce here, bounce there, miss shot there, turnover there. You know, blown rotation in the first quarter ended up costing us the game in the fourth. It's just basketball is crazy connected. And uh, for these guys to learn those lessons the hard way kind of sucks for us and for them as well. But – it netted them a very good pick and hopefully will lead to uh, better success next season. Absolutely. I so, enjoyed uh, talking about all these draft picks, man. It's going to be fun. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So we got another month. I'm sure we will talk more about it. Eventually, I'd like to get Dwayne on. Dwayne was at the lottery last night. He's on a plane right now. But uh, Dwayne Price, our guy from Mavs.com, I'd like to get him on, see what his experience was like. Uh, let's see once the combine happens, wh- mm-hmm. how that all goes down, and uh, maybe get into some mocks and stuff later. But in the meantime, Skin, I think that you deserve a break. You deserve some painkillers oh, yeah. and a, a nice glass of whiskey. Yes. And uh, all go that. do yeah, go do some radio uh, and listen to this podcast. Numbers on the boards. Skin had a blast with you today. Love you, buddy. Love you hard, and, man. Um, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. okay. Number five, eight. We got top five pick in a great draft. We good. Yeah, we're good. We're good. We will be good. Numbers on the board is always good. Thank you very much. We'll see you guys soon.